0: Welcome to another inspirational message from Dave Koop, Senior Pastor of Coastal Church in Vancouver, Canada. This morning we're going to continue on. We are in a series on managing your life. Last week, if you missed it, you can catch it online. It was about managing your mood. You can be in up mood, you can be in a down mood, a good mood, or a bad mood. But how many know that if you live by your moods, you're not going to fulfill the purpose in your life. You're just going to be tossed to and fro. However, if you manage your mood, which you can Then you're going to be able to accomplish what God has in front of you to do. So that was last week's message. And if you missed that, you can catch it online. Go back and uh, review that. This morning, we're going to talk about managing your mouth. That's right, managing your mouth. You say, Well, do I need to manage that? Yes, we do. And we're going to go to uh, James chapter 3. James is the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. Uh, if you go to cities today, you're going to have the first churches. You can have First Baptist, First Methodist, First Mennonite, First This, First That. They're the first churches that get established in the city. And typically they're older buildings. They were there first. And and so we, we see those first churches. Well, this was written to the first church in the first city in Jerusalem. And what James has to say really was written to the people then, but it's for us today. We need to unpack it and learn what he's got to say for us today. The chapter three we're in, the talk about the mouth pretty well fills up this entire chapter. So if he's got only five chapters and he spends about one chapter on the importance of what we speak, I think it's probably pretty important that we study this out and say, what have you got to say about the way that I speak, James? And again, he's speaking to the church world. He's speaking to us this morning. It's important stuff. So we're going to talk about how we can manage our mouth. In our regular day, they tell us that we have about 30 conversations a day. You spend about one-fifth of your life talking. That's a lot of talking. And stats tell us that, guys, we talk about 20,000 words a day. And women, believe it or not, I know this would be a surprise to you, they speak about 30,000 words a day. And uh, Zig Ziglar, who is a motivational speaker, he says, with Gus, up to 40,000. So just depending on, I didn't say that, he said that, 40,000 words a day. Now, Phyllis Diller's husband, if you remember the comedian Phyllis Diller, her husband was once asked, do you resent having your wife always have the last word? And his response was, actually, I'm delighted when she finally gets to it. So now I need to pick on the guys for a bit. Uh, and uh, this, this is for you ladies. Guys, I'm sorry. I'm going to give away some secrets this morning. So forgive me in advance. This is a man's author. So ladies, this is going to help you this morning when we're saying something, what we're actually meaning. When a man says, it would take too long to explain, he's actually saying, I have no idea how it works. <laughs> sorry, guys. When a man says take a break, honey. You're working too hard. He's actually saying, I can't hear the game, the Riders versus the Lions. (laughs) I knew there'd be a Riders fan in here somewhere. I can't hear the game over the vacuum cleaner. When a man says, that's interesting, dear, he's actually saying, are you still talking? (laughs) And when a man says, again, I apologize guys for this, When a man says, can I help with dinner, he's actually saying, why isn't this ready yet? (laughs) Rob, you're laughing way too hard. You're giving yourself away. (laughs) When a man says, I can't find it, he's actually saying, it didn't fall into my outstretched arm. I, I think women have a gift. I know Cheryl has a gift for that. I will go into the fridge, and will open the fridge door, and I'll say, Cheryl, we're out of ketchup. I can't find the ketchup. And she said, Dave, it's right there. I said, no, it's not right here. And I'll be looking. I can't see it. She literally, she'll walk over, she'll open the door, and she'll go, it's right here, Dave. I told you, we had it all the time. I don't know where it was. I couldn't see it. I'll, I'll say, where's a certain shirt or something? She says, it's in the closet. I said, it must be in the dirty laundry, or maybe it's at the dry cleaner. She says, no, it's hanging up. I said, no, I can't be. She says, okay, I'll go. And she'll go in there, and she'll, sh, 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 sh. here it is. I, honestly, I couldn't see it. It's a gift. I think she has a gift. <laughs> it's to the point right now, in my life, if I can't find something, it's no stress because I just know, well, Cheryl will find it. She, she'll know where it is. I just—I don't have to think about it. She just, and if she doesn't know where it is, she knows how to pray. And she'll say, Holy Spirit, where is this? Between her and the Holy Spirit, she can find anything. So, guys, when you marry, the Bible says he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And one of the things about getting married, you find a lot of stuff you lost because women know how to find things, including good deals when you go shopping. And we... We were in London and Cheryl got in a shopping gear and you did great. No more said it was it was wonderful. There's another one when a man says you look terrific. Now I didn't do this but of course not. But when a man says you look terrific, you look great in a mall, really his meaning is oh please don't try on one more outfit. We're late and I'm starving. <laughs> Sorry guys. Uh, let's get into what this means. James chapter 3, 2 to 4, it's there in your notes. Our mouth, first of all, fill in the blank, is directs where we go. So if you're taking notes, you're filling the blank, directs. Your tongue steers where you go. James 3, 2 to 4 says, all of us make a lot of mistakes. If someone doesn't make any mistakes when he speaks, he would be perfect. He would be able to control everything he does. We put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us. How many grew up or have ridden horse in your life? See, that's a good number. Probably three-quarters have ridden a horse in your life, and uh, we grew up on a farm, and uh, when I was, I don't know how old, maybe six years old or younger already, we were riding horses, and I, it amazed me. With The first horse I rode was a Palomino horse, and her name was Ginger, and uh, my dad had put me on this horse, no, no saddle, just a bridle. Two pieces of leather attached to a little metal bit that sat in that horse's mouth. And uh, he boosted me onto that horse. And I could ride this horse around and steer it just with this little bridle. Horse weighed me by many times, yet I could control that horse. Uh, she'd go faster. She'd go slower. Turn to the left. Turn to the right. And all I had to do was just move that little bit around. It was amazing. This big animal would do whatever I wanted to do just by that little bit in the mouth. And James here is saying that your life, as big as your life is, as complicated as your life is, and all that goes on in your life, your life is steered by that little tongue and the words that we speak. Then he goes on to say that your tongue's compared to a boat, a ship, and it's controlled by a rudder. Your tongue is that rudder. The Queen Mary, too, the big ship, it's over 1,100 feet long. Its anchors weigh something like 10 tons or something, huge anchor that it has. Yet that ship, through all the seas and all the storms, is controlled by a rudder. Where it goes, where it ends up, it's directed by that rudder. Your life today, uh, let me ask you a question. Do you like where your life is? Do you like your relationships? Do you like your finances? Do you like what's going on in your life? Where you are in your life today, according to James is directly related to what you spoke. I don't know if I'm so happy about my relationships. I don't know if I'm so happy about uh, my finances or this or that. Well, it's related to what we have spoken. So let's put it another way. Where do you want to be a year from now? Where do you want to be five years from now? We're pretty good at getting on our, on our little iPhone and saying, you know, our, on Google Maps or our GPS system, and we can punch in beginning and end destination. When we were in London recently, that's a, I, I get on my little iPhone or I get onto iMaps or Google Maps. I say, here's my beginning destination. Here's what I want to end up, and it give me a route. Well, where do you want to end up? Where, where's the route going in your life? Well, where you are today and where you want to be will be highly related to by what you speak out of your mouth. It will steer the direction for your life. Where do you want to go? What, so as a result of it. What do you talk about? Do you talk about the Lord a lot? David said in the Psalms. Your praises will always be on my mouth. I think that's Psalm 34. Your words. Your praise will always be on my mouth. In mouth. In Luke chapter 1, if you have your Bibles go there, interesting story here about Zacharias. And uh, he's approached by an angel, Luke chapter 1. His son will be John the Baptist, very well-known character in the Bible. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 11, an angel of the Lord appears to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. He's in the temple and he's offering this offering of incense. An angel shows up. The angel's name is Gabriel, and uh, it has a message for him. And the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zacharias, because your prayer is heard. Now, how I know mean, if the Lord hears our prayers, then our prayer is going to be answered? This is out of First John chapter 5. If we know the Lord has heard our prayers, well, then we know we have the request which we've asked of him. So if you have an angel show up and say, um, your prayer has been heard... That means your prayer has been heard. That's as good as it gets. And, uh, so he's got this angel show up and say, "Your prayer's been heard." He's been praying for a long time, and they've been praying for a son. And uh, the news is that your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you'll call his name John. You're not going to call him Zacharias the second. You call him John. And he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to bring you joy and gladness. And one of the reasons he's going to bring you joy and gladness is because many will turn their hearts to God because of him. And this also goes on to say that the fathers will turn their hearts to the children because of him. And so which parent wouldn't be excited if your child has this type of an influence that turns people's hearts back to God and parents start loving their kids more Man, that would bring joy and gladness to any parent's heart. So this is the good news that the angel has for Zacharias. Then we pick it up in verse 19, and the angel, uh, or verse 18, Zacharias says to the angel, how shall I know this? I'm an old man. My wife is well advanced in years. She's beyond the childbearing years in her life. She's likely gone through menopause. It's like, I don't think she's going to be able to have children. And here's the angel's response in verse 20, or verse 19. Angel answers and says to him, "I am Gabriel, Zacharias. I'm Gabriel. Okay, I'm one of the archangels. I am. That's the highest ranking angel you're going to get. I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Now, watch verse 20. It's there in your notes." Uh, I'll read of the New King James Version. But behold, you will be mute and not be able to speak until the day these things take place. Why can't he speak? Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. What's taking place here? Here's Zacharias with his wife Elizabeth, and they've been praying for this thing to take place. Angel shows up and says, it's going to happen. But now doubt and unbelief speaks. He says, I don't know if this is going to happen. We're too old. The angel zips his lip. The angel says, I'm going to mute you until that child is born because of your unbelief. Judson Cornwall wrote a book on worship, a great author, and he said this, very simply, he said, unbelief in the head cannot get into the heart if it doesn't proceed out of the mouth. So we have an example here in the scriptures where God says, I'm going to mute you so that you will not speak doubt and unbelief in this because we want to go this direction that you're going to have this baby. As a result of it, he's kept quiet until the baby's born, and then he gets to speak again. There's a principle here that our words are really, really powerful in the outcome of what happens in our life. So, number one, it directs where we go. Uh, Number two, James 3, 5 to 6 In the same way, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it can brag about doing important things. A large forest can be set on fire by a little flame. The tongue is that kind of flame. Your tongue, the words we speak, can literally start a fire. In the 1800s, there was the great Chicago fire. And I don't know if anybody grew up singing this little uh, song, but I remember singing around a campfire when I was a kid. It went like this, one dark night when people were in bed, Mrs. O'Leary lit a lantern in the shed. The cow kicked it over, winked its eye, and said, there'll be a hot time in the old town tonight. Fire, fire, fire. Anybody else <laughs> ever sing that song? There's a few of you. We used to sing that over and over again. Little lantern in the shed, and the cow kicked it over. She winked her eye and said, there'll be a hot time in the old town. And I didn't know it was about Chicago. I had no earthly idea. But it was about Chicago. Because Mrs. O'Leary was in her barn milking, and story has it, disputed but the story has it that the cow kicked the lantern over the lantern started a fire and that fire burnt out of control and 300 people died there's like over a third of the value of the real estate in Chicago at that time was wiped out it was a devastating fire and it started by one little spark in a barn supposedly there in Chicago and it wiped out so much did so much damage and this is what James is speaking here to the church about. He said, Our words can do such damage. A lie, a gossip, a murmur, something that's spoken about somebody can just literally burn out of control. One of the fellows after the early service said, you know, we have a responsibility when we hear something like that to maybe stand up and say, wait a minute, I don't want to be, I'm not going to be part of that. I'm going to build a firewall and not allow this to go any further. I think that's a good point. And sometimes you may have to say, you know what, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to be partaking in this, and I'm just going to build a firewall. I'm not a garbage can. I don't want to receive that, say it nicer than that, but just do something to stop it from going further. The tongue can start a raging fire in people's lives if we're not careful. Then he goes on to say here that it is a world of evil among parts of our bodies, and it completely contaminates our bodies. The tongue sets on our lives on fire, and it itself set on fire from hell. Another translation there, it says it's the course of nature, contaminates our bodies. It, it does something to the course of nature. I don't know how much James knew about medical science, but there is a relationship to the words spoken, things you hear, and what happens internally. I took this article out of a message that was spoken by Lloyd-John uh, Ogilove, and this is what he had to say about what technically happens when you hear. James is saying here, in this, he says it contaminates you on the inside. When we speak words that are damaging, it's, uh, you know the old phrase, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. No, no, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will break your heart. It can really affect you on the inside. And... This is, what this, uh, this is what happens when we hear and how it affects us medically. Uh, James is referring to it because it contaminates our body. So let me read this for you. With the wonderful gift of hearing, sound goes through the auditory channel down to the tympanic membrane called the eardrum, setting into motion those delicate auditory ossicles. When then serving very much like a hammer and anvil, send into the inner ear the movements of the cochlea, which then makes possible the transfer of energy into 24,000 little nerves, which move through the auditory channel nerve into the cortex of the brain, sending signals into the brain through the hypostymus and then into the pituitary gland, which sends into our bodies hormones necessary to meet the fight or flight, the comfort or courage, that the words have produced. But it is in the uh, circuits of the brain, based on previous experience, that the word is received and sends meaning into our bodies. Whatever a word has meant from experience controls what charge will be given to our bodies. When an inflammatory word, a critical word, a put-down word, a destroying word, an unsettling word is spoken, the whole loop between hearing, reacting, that system goes into motion. Our bodies are reacting for a period that some suggest for 72 hours on what's been said to us. There's this pituitary gland that's sending these hormones into our bodies. And he says, wow, no wonder it's time to look at the words, what they do to us, and what they do to others. So when we speak and words are received, something's going on on the inside of us. As he says here, it can contaminate your whole body, words that are spoken. Think about it. When somebody said a word to you like "you idiot," "you're stupid," "you're nothing," "I'm going to divorce you," there's death and life in the power of our words. It doesn't just bounce off that person. It's it goes in and can contaminate, destroy. Words will direct your life, and words can destroy your life. There's this story of a man who had heard some news about somebody, and it wasn't true, but he began telling other people. He went around telling other people the story in a small village, and everybody believed it to be true. He destroyed that man's reputation. Man couldn't do business, everybody knew about him, and his everybody looked at him, and his reputation was destroyed. He found out what he told other people wasn't true, so he feels bad about it. He goes to the pastor and says, "You know what? I made a terrible mistake. I told everybody this; it wasn't true, and now the whole town knows. This man's reputation is ruined. What do I do?" And he says, "Well, first of all, you need to ask God for forgiveness because what you did was wrong." And he asks God for forgiveness for him. He says, "Well, I want to make it right. I want to correct this." He says, "Okay, go get a bag of feathers." And go to every person's door in the village. And on every doorstep, put a feather. And when you've done that, come and visit me again. So he says, this is kind of a strange thing, but he gets this big bag of feathers. He walks to the village, and at every doorstep, he puts this white feather. He comes back to the pastor, and he says, you know, if this is what i got to do to make it right, I'll do it to make it right. He comes back and says, I have put a feather on every person's door. What do I do next? He said, now I want you to go back and pick up all the feathers that you left at the doorstep. It took him a couple of days to do it. And he said, that's impossible. The wind's blowing the feathers. Who knows where? they could be anywhere. He said, exactly. Who knows where your words are? They're everywhere. Because you, when you fly a kite, you can pull it back in. But when you speak a word, you speak for all eternity. You can't pull them back in. It's we We know this stuff, right? This is... Probably nothing new for any of us, but it's a kind of message where James takes one chapter out of his letter to the first church in Jerusalem. He said, this is really important, guys. Really important church, important for your family relationships, important for your business world, because it can destroy people's lives, and it directs your life the way we use this little instrument, our tongue. He says, if people can tame animals. If you go... To a circus, you know, it's fun to watch the lion tamer, or you can go down to the aquarium and you watch uh, this killer whale do these tricks. And Man, a big animal is controlled by a person. But James says nobody can control the tongue. So, how do we do that? Well, we're going to get to that. How, how do we take care of it? Uh, number three our words display who we really are. James 3, 9, With our tongues we praise our Lord and Father, yet with the same tongues we curse people who are created in God's likeness. In Matthew 12, 33, 34, Jesus said this, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. A tree is known by its fruit, brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak good things? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our mouth displays who we really are. If you want to know what somebody's like, just listen to them talk for a while. Now, we can all put on our good behavior, right? If we're at, a, we're at an event or we're going somewhere, we can, all, we can all really talk nice for a while. But when we're under pressure, Bill Hybels who's a, an amazing leader. If he wants to hire and put a new leader in position, he'll take that person on a trip. He'll take him on a trip where you have long airport lineups. He'll put that person on a trip where there's a lot of pressure that'll be on that person. Why? Because he wants to see what comes out of his mouth when the squeeze is on. Because when we're under pressure, that's often where what's really in our heart comes out of our mouth. It always amazes me when people give their heart to the Lord and they accept Christ into their life. One of the first things that you want to do is stop swearing. You don't want to use God's name in vain anymore. You don't want to use the F word anymore. You you, you change the way you talk. You didn't even notice it before. And all of a sudden I was like, ooh, that doesn't sound right. Why? Because God's purifying your heart. Pure mouth, pure heart. Potty mouth, potty heart. I said in the earlier service, just to drive the point home, poopy mouth, would be hard. (laughs) If it's coming out bad, it means it's bad in here. This is what Jesus is saying. So to change the way we speak has a lot to do with what's going on in our heart. He said make the heart good, the mouth is going to be good. Sometimes when we see believers who have been in church for a while start to go back to old language habits, it tells us There's something going on in their heart. Or they may not use the same words, but they substitute a word that sounds similar, but it's not the actual swear word. They're using a different word in the same language pattern. We don't have to have those adjectives and adverbs to communicate clearly. So quiet in this church right now. Your mouth, my mouth, directs where I'm going. It can destroy things in my life if I'm not careful. And it also displays who I am. Rick Warren said this. It's there in your notes. If you show me somebody with a harsh tongue, I'll show you somebody with an angry heart. If they're harsh, it's likely that they're angry on the inside. If you show me somebody with an overactive tongue, talking all the time, he says, I'll show you somebody with an unsettled heart. Again, the heart reflects The mouth is a reflection of what's going on in the heart. If you show me somebody with a judgmental tongue, I'll show you somebody with a guilty heart. If you show me somebody with a sarcastic, biting tongue, I'll show you somebody with a bitter heart. If you show me somebody with a boasting tongue, they have their resume ready to give at any moment, all the things they've done, bragging all the time, I'll show you somebody with an insecure heart, a screaming person saying, please accept me, acknowledge what I've done. If you show me somebody who has an encouraging heart, encouraging words, I should say, then he says, I'll show you somebody with a happy heart. If you show me somebody with a gentle in their speech, I'll show you somebody with a peaceful heart. So again, when we listen to people, when we speak, it's a reflection. It displays what is in our heart. So what do we do? What should we do about this? Number one, get a new heart. Get a new heart. Now, without God, that would be a tough assignment. But God says, I will put in you a new heart. In Ezekiel, he said, I'll put a new heart and a new spirit on the inside of you. Because if we try just mentally thinking, okay, I've got to watch the way I speak, I've got to control this, that's difficult. But if God comes and lives in our heart, then by the spirit we put to death the deeds of the flesh, the old way we want to talk, now there's a new life and it comes out of our heart. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, it says that one believes in their heart, and with their mouth, confession is made to salvation. There's a connection between what comes out of our mouth and what's in our heart. So if we change what's in our heart, then automatically what's coming out of our mouth will take place. So focus on the heart. Focus on the heart. Don't have to focus on, I've got to control my tongue, got to control my tongue. Focus on our heart. If Jesus has our heart, Jesus has our tongue. Can I say that again? If Jesus has our heart, Jesus has our tongue. If we give him our heart say, Lord, come live in my life, then automatically our tongue begins to speak different kinds of words. If we give him first place, we surrender our heart to him, we'll end up surrendering our tongue to him. Uh, Number two, this is, uh, I like this one, think before we speak. Ever had somebody say, "I I just speak my mind. I just speak my mind. Uh, well, you're responsible for every word you speak. It's good just to stop and think before we speak. James said, my dear brothers and sisters, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Proverbs 15, 28, the godly think before speaking, the wicked spout evil words. Here's the acronym for think. Number one, T, is it truthful? H, is it helpful? I, is it inspirational? What does that mean? Does it edify the person? When they finish having a conversation with you, do they feel built up or torn down? Do they feel encouraged? The resurrection was an updraft. Jesus was raised up, not down. He's an updraft. as as believers, we should, the Bible says, encourage one another. And all the more, our word should be inspirational. We have the ability to do that. Is it inspirational? Is it necessary? Sometimes it's truthful, but it's not necessary. And then lastly, K, is it kind? Three, what do we do about it? Ask God for help daily. Folks, this is the toughest thing we do, control our tongue. How many of we should ask God for help? James is saying this is one of the most challenging things you'll do in your life is to control your tongue. It directs your life. So it makes sense. Ask God for help. Look at this prayer that David prays, Psalm 141. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Let's read this out loud together. Would you join me? Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. That's a daily prayer we should be praying. God, watch over my lips today because it's going to direct my life. I could destroy. I could bring life. Your words are containers again. They can bring life or they can bring death. Death and life are what? In the power of the tongue. Then lastly, speak God's word to change your world. Yeah. Yeah. Speak his word. Hebrew says this. The word of God is living, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Speak his word over your situation. Get in agreement with God. What does God say about it? Okay, this is what I'm going to say. Well, the circumstances are screaming this, but God's word says this, so I'll speak his word over that situation in my life. Others are saying this. Others have said that. Maybe somebody's spoken into your life a negative word. And those words can replay and replay and replay in our mind. You could have had a coach who said to you, you're never going to make it. You could have had a teacher said, you're never going to amount to anything. You could have had a parent say it, an uncle say it. Or someone spoke those words and they still haunt you. How do you displace those words? Displace those words by speaking God's word. You said that, but God says this. Cast down every thought, take it captive to the beings of Christ. I'm taking those words you said that were negative words about my life, that I would never amount to anything. I'm going to put those words under my feet. I'm going to put God's word over my life. I'm going to speak God's word over my life, not those words that you said about me. I'm going to allow God's word to direct my life, not those negative words you spoke about my life. They have no hold, they have no power over my life because they're not Lord over my life. Jesus is Lord over my life, and I'm going to speak what He has to say about my life, not those negative words that you said. I'm going to release them, I'm going to let them go. I forgive you. I focus on what God has to say about me, I speak what He has to say about me, not those. Those words that you said in my life about me. That will propel you towards the destiny that God has for your life. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to download free notes from this message or find out more information about Pastor Dave Coop, then we invite you to visit our website at www.coastalchurch.org.